It is good to see you, Tri-City. I want to say a very huge thank you to Tim and Matt and Ben and your leadership here for inviting me to come yet again to share the Word of God with you. I'm always excited to come to Tri-City. I just find that there's an awesome vibe here. Yeah, I really, really enjoy coming here. So I plead with Matt sometimes, invite me, invite me. So this time around he did. Now, if you haven't met me before, or you don't know who I am. My name is Ezra. I'm one of the pastors at Northview Community Church in Abbotsford. And Northview came uh, together with a few other uh, churches to help uh, plant this work here. And so it's always a joy to see what the Lord is doing in this community. We are just so thankful for all of you. We pray for this church, pray for all of you regularly. And we just continue to trust that the Lord would enable you guys to be a good gospel outpost in this community. Well, Matt gave me an assignment, Hosea chapter 6, so that's where we'll be this morning. But before we jump into the Word, I'd like to pray, and then we will study this passage together. Let us pray, shall we? Gracious Father, thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you, Lord, that we could come into this house, this building, this space to worship you. Thank you for the songs that we have sung, songs that are rich in content. You are faithful, Lord. You are so faithful, as we have just sang. This morning, as we quiet our hearts now to hear your word, Lord, we pray that you would speak. We think of the kids who are also being taught the gospel. We pray in whatever classrooms that they're in, that, Lord, you would soften their hearts to, to be drawn to the name of Christ this morning. Pray that they would respond appropriately. We pray for ourselves as well. Father, I have arranged the words on a page here, but only you can, can just bring this passage to life in our hearts, in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be doers of your word, not hearers only. And so, Father, we pray that you'd accomplish your purposes this morning in our lives as we interact with this text. Father, I pray for myself that you'd grant me clarity of thought and speech, that, Lord, I may share that which you have me to say to your people this morning. Commend ourselves now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the passage you want to look at again, the, the, the passage we are studying this morning, Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. But before we read the text, just a very quick uh, background on what this book is or how it fits in the greater story in the Old Testament. So the book of Hosea is considered one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, Okay, so it's a minor prophet, so it doesn't mean that he was less important than, let's say, Jeremiah or Isaiah. It's just that the book is shorter as compared to Isaiah or Jeremiah, for instance. So it's a minor prophetic book, and it will be one of 12 minor prophets you'll find in the Old Testament. The other 11 would be Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Naum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So this is towards the tail end of the Old Testament. And the time span between the minor prophets was about 300 years. But what is interesting is some theologians have argued to say, you know what, these 12 books actually should be considered as one book because they have a similar theme. And so what is the theme that unifies these 12 books and the theme that you will see in the book of Hosea? The theme will be this, how will God's people respond to God? 
How are God's people going to respond to God? How are they going to respond to God's messenger? Because God will speak through the prophet to the people. So how will the people respond to the prophet of God? How will the people respond to God himself and the message? And what was the message that God gave them? Again, in the 12 books, and I wouldn't just uh, limit it to the minor prophets. You'd see this in Jeremiah. You'll see it in Ezekiel. you see it also in Isaiah. God will have a message of indictment and then a, God, a message of instruction. So if you're going to summarize the entire, uh, like a prophetic book of the entire prophetic words in the Old Testament, you'll see it's a message of indictment and a message of instruction. So indictment, why? Because the people would have rebelled. And so they're rebelling against God, rebelling against God, pursuing idols, doing things that they ought not to do. So God will raise up a prophet and tell them, you have sinned, therefore judgment is coming. But it's not just indictment, but it was also instruction. And God will instruct the people, this is how you ought to, this is what you need to do to return to me. This is how, these are the things you need to now begin to pursue. These are things you need to cut out of your life in order to be in right standing with me. This is how you can be restored to me. So indictment and instruction. And that is what you see in this whole book of Hosea. Indictment, instruction. Now, how will God's people now respond? And the question I'll have for you today is, How are you going to respond to God after you hear his word brought bare before you? How will you respond? Now, the nation of Israel had been rebellious. They had been doing things they ought not to do. They had been pursuing idols. In fact, last week as Matt was preaching, he preached to chapter 5. And I don't know if you paid attention to verse 11 of Uh, Hosea chapter 5, where the people were determined, they were determined to go after filth. Or in other translations, it will say they were determined to pursue idols. Determined. They were strident. They held on. Now you may sit and you may say, man, shame on them for pursuing, for being determined to pursue idols. Well, we are not so far removed from them, and I'll show us why in a bit. So the people were rebellious, determined to worship their idols. Therefore, the Lord brought discipline, as we heard last week. So he was disciplining his people. And now you'd assume that with God's discipline, that would make people repent. God has discipline, therefore you'll repent. You'll turn around, you'll run to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me, cleanse me, help me. No, this is not what the people do. If anything, they are determined to pursue their idolatry rather than seeking God and asking him for mercy. And what they do is they now go and pursue the Assyrians. In other words, God brings uh, discipline, meaning judgment. He'll make life difficult for them. And so rather than them turning to God, they now run to the Assyrians to say, help us in this time of need. Rather than running to the Lord. And so the chapter ends with the Lord saying how his judgment and his punishment will remain until the people turn around and come and repent. His judgment will remain upon them. So that is now where we are at the beginning of chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. So this is what the passage says. So we'll read the text and then we'll break it into two sections. The first is our confession, and then the second, his forgiveness. 
our confession and his forgiveness. That is the two sec- uh, sections that we're going to study this text. So let's read it and then we'll unpack it together. Verse 1. Come, the prophet is speaking now. Come, let us return to the Lord. And he's including himself there. Let us return to the Lord. For what has he done? For he has torn us, but he may heal us. He has struck us down. This is his judgment. And he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up. But we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. There ends the reading of God's word. So, the first point here is our confession. And under this point, our confession, I'll break it into two. The prophet will say, hey, you know, let us return to the Lord. That will be the first. And then the second, let us press on to know God. So as we confess, we want to return to God. And we also want to press on to know the Lord. So let us deal with the first portion here. And our confession, the first portion, let us return to the Lord. This is six, chapter 6, verse 1. Where he's talking about here, come, let us return to the Lord. So when he's saying let us return to the Lord, obviously there was a departing from the Lord. There was a drifting away that took place. People are not close to God. They left. So where did they go? What happened? Well, in the case of Israel, and in particular in this book, the nation of Israel had drifted away from God and they were worshiping other idols. Now, worshiping in what way? The nation of Israel was an agrarian, it was an agrarian society, meaning they lived off the the land. So they, they, they had farms, they had crops, they had the animals. So they would go out, they would till the soil, they would plant seed, they would pray for rain, then the harvest will come. They will harvest, they will store the, the, the grain in the um, in their big barns, and they'll they'll be assured of food that year. And they'll do it on and on and on. But let's say there was drought. You, pl- you till the soil, you plant your seed, no rain is coming. You pray no rain is coming. The ground gets dry, the seed you planted dies. Now you're staring at famine. This is now death is staring you in the face. Unless something happens. Unless God sends the rain, oh dear, now what? We might have to go to the neighboring nations and maybe see if they have grain that they could sell to us. But of course, they're going to sell it at premium price. And we might not have the resources. So we might have to sell ourselves as slaves in order to have something to eat to sustain us and our families. So, very much agrarian. But now here's where the challenge comes in. When the nation of Israel came into Canaan, and now they were living among other nations, they began observing how these other nations lived. Now the nation of Israel had only one God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. But these other nations had multiple gods whom they worshipped. So these other nations began to influence the nation of Israel. Why do you have just one God? Have multiple gods. And so this was the thinking. 
You have your big national God, Yahweh. Yeah, keep worshiping Yahweh. He's your national God. So he's the God whom you run to when the United States are wanting to attack Canada. Guess what? We go to our national God and say, Lord, help us against those Americans who are coming here to attack us. You go to your national God. But what if there is famine? What if there is relational tension between us? What if there is political turmoil within us? What if there is disease? COVID is here. Do we go to a national God? No, you don't want to bother the national God with those petty issues. You can go to this other God over here. So you don't go to the big God. You go to this little God. It would be like, for example, in Canada here, when there is crisis and, and significant issues, national issues, there is a threat of war, Coming to Canada, we go to the prime minister and say, hey, help us. But if your toilet is blocked, you don't phone Justin Trudeau and say, hey, my bathroom is... No, you don't. You phone the plumber. If there's a sewer backup, you phone the mayor. Dude, city, do something here. You don't phone the prime minister when there are issues like that. So that was the thinking. You don't go to the national God when you're dealing with petty issues. National God, you'll only seek him when you know there is imminent threat coming. Our nation is about to be destroyed. Then you pray to the big God. But otherwise, you just leave him alone and you pursue these other small gods who will help out this way and that way. So the nation of Israel began to follow this mode of thinking. Enter Baal who was a god whom the nation of Israel worshipped. So who was Baal? He was the god of thunder, storm, and rain. Remember, agrarian culture. And so now, these are people who are farmers, and they had all the animals, and they would send the animals out, and they would go and plant their crops. But now famine is coming, so the nations will tell them, let us worship Baal, bring all these sacrifices to Baal. Let us worship. Remember the story of Elijah in the Mount Carmel and all these 400 prophets and they're crying to Baal and crying to Baal. Yeah, hoping that Baal will send thunder to ignite the sacrifice. Why are they praying to Baal? Because it's the god of thunder in stone. So Baal, send the thunder. Thunder doesn't come. So the nation of Israel is worshiping Baal. Now, because they want Baal to help them have enough to eat and survive. This was the issue. But it wasn't just Baal whom they were worshipping. They worshipped other gods as well. When they wanted protection, when they wanted security, when they wanted protection against uh, diseases and plagues and so on, they had multiple other gods and multiple other shrines that they worshipped. And as you see in the text last week, chapter 5, verse 11, they were determined, they persisted in worshiping. They held on to these other gods. Let me shock you. So there was a god whom they worshipped called Molech. And Molech was, a, was an iron god who was just a statue that stood with its arms like this. I might have shared this last time I was here or a few times before. With his arms like this. And so, and it was tall, like eight, nine, ten feet, with his arms like this. So they would take this statue and put this statue on the highest hill or the tallest mountain in the area. And so, on a day like today, in the morning, 
we would now gather all our firewood and we would just be trekking up this mountain and then we'd place all this fuel around this molech. We'd put all our fuel and then we'd ignite it with fire. And so all day we're just bringing fuel, wood, wood, and more wood, and more wood, and dumping it there, and the fire is going. Remember, Molech is an iron statue. So when you ignite and you heat up iron, what happens? It becomes red. So all day long, it's just glowing red hot. Now you can imagine what it looks like at night. It doesn't matter where you are here in the Tri-Cities. You will look at the mountain, you see, wow, glowing red hot. Molech, there is Molech. But now, you want to be rich. You want to be successful. So what do you do? You know that child of yours whom you took downstairs? Yeah, that one. You grab this child and you go up with the child up this hill to Molech. You strip the child buck naked and you take this child and you place the child on the arms of Molech. And the child will sear to death. Literally. These are the things that the nation of Israel did because the other nations did the same thing. They would sacrifice their children on the altar of Molech, hoping that they would move forward. Now, just before we lift our eyes against these people and say, how wicked, abortion in Canada? Isn't that the same? How different is it? You see, it's very easy for us now to, to, to pause and put our hands like this and, oh, this nation of Israel, how wicked they might be, how wicked they might be. You know, we are not so different from them. When Isaiah is saying here, Hosea, sorry, when Hosea is saying here, come, let us return to the Lord, he's not just talking to the nation of Israel, he's talking to us. And when I say us, I just don't mean us Canadians in general, I mean us Christians. Come, all of us, you and me together, come and worship the Lord. Why do I say we are in the same boat? Let me paint a picture for you here. You know, we, in some way, and when I say we, myself included, I'm right in there with you. We are functional deists. When I say a functional deist, who's a deist? A deist is someone who believes that God exists. Yeah, God exists. He created everything. I believe the Bible is true. But does God really get involved in your day-to-day? -day? Really? Is he really involved in your day-to-day? -day? I don't know. Now you may say, yeah, I think he does. Okay, so if you, if you really believe that God is involved in your day-to-day, -day, do you pray? See, when Matt says, Matt or Tim or Ben will say, hey, church, we have this prayer meeting on this particular evening. Do you show up? Because surely if you, if you believe that God is involved in the meticulous details of your life, surely you will bring your needs before him. Surely you will pray and ask, Lord, help me with my relational issues. Help me with my financial issues. Help me with my health issues. Help me with my, you name the issue. But do we really pray? Do we really press in and pray and cry out to God, Lord, help us. See, our prayerlessness is evidence that we are deists. 
We believe that God is there, but we are not quite sure if he is really involved in our day-to-day life. You see, we believe there is God, but we trust in other things. We seek our fulfillment in other things. We seek our security in other things. Let's press it a little further. Let's press it a little further. Canadian culture has drifted further and further away from God, hasn't it? Within the last decade, we have drifted far and far away from God. Our values on social issues, our values and our views on moral issues have drastically changed within the last two decades. The things we believe today and the things that are being espoused in society today Is that the stuff we believed 20 years ago? Even 10? No. No, not at all. And you know what is sad? Many of us as Christians believe those values now. The things we would say 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, we'd be like, there's no way. Yeah, today we are singing the song and drinking the Kool-Aid. So, Now, let's pretend it's just you and me at Starbucks. We're drinking coffee. It's just you and me, me and my big eyes looking at you. Okay? So just just us talking. Okay? So let's go a little bit further. So let's say if I was asking you a few questions, like, what are your views on money? What are your views on money, buddy? What are your views on money? What are your views on money? Huh? Yours? What are your views on money? What about you? What are your views on money? What are your views on sex and sexuality? What are your views? On sex and sexuality. What are your views on power? Don't look down. Look at me. Yeah, what are your views? Remember, it's you and me and Starbucks. Just the two of us having a good old conversation. What are your views on power? Now, we all have views on money. Do you want more money? Do you want more money? If you had more money, what, how would that change your life? Huh? What are your views on money? Sexuality and sex. Huh? What are your views? If you had it all, power, beauty, fame, fortune, what are your views on those things? Now, let me ask you a follow-up question. Again, it's just you and me, Starbucks. What informed those views? What informed those views? Netflix? Apple TV, movies, sitcoms, what informed your views when it comes to sexuality? What informed your views when it comes to money? What informed your view when it comes to power? What informed your view when it comes to beauty? What informed those views? What shaped your thinking around those? Was it the word of God? 
Or was it society around you? And all the issues that we are now wrestling with today, like the medical assistance in dying, the made thing that is now up front, where in March of this year, in March, Parliament just passed a bill. In March this coming year, this coming spring, people with mental health issues can also get a pass. So if you're significantly depressed, and you just think like your world is just crummy and it's coming to an end. If you get two specialists to say, ting, you get it. In Canada. And there'll be Christians who will say, this is an awesome thing. What informed that view? This? Or society around us? A few more questions here just to press this point home, to show us that we are not far removed from the nation of Israel, really. So to the issue of identity, if I was to sit across from the table from you and say, okay, if I asked you this question, who am I? How would you respond? Who am I? Who am I? As a person, as a human being, who am I? This is identity, a question going to identity. What about a question um, to, um, that, that, that focuses on purpose? Why am I here? Why are we here? What is the point of life to begin with? Who am I? Why am I here? And then to the question of brokenness. What is wrong with the world? You know, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to know. There is something wrong with the world. There is something wrong. Yeah, totally. <laughs> the world is totally messed up. When you look at images of these immigrants leaving Africa in dinghies, a dinghy that will probably have maybe 10 people max, has 40, 50 people hanging for dear life, and many will die crossing the channel looking for better life in other parts of the world. There's something wrong. Why are they running away from where they were born, what they, where they would call home? There's something wrong. Ukraine, what in the world? Like we're in the 21st century for crying out loud. Really, is this is how we're going to treat each other? We're going to invade and shoot and kill regardless of what your politics may be. Like, is this what we've come down to now? We're going to uproot people and kill them senselessly. Really? Regardless of your politics, is this what we've come to now? What is wrong with the world? What is wrong? There's something wrong here. And then, final question, how can this wrong be made right? How can this wrong be made right? You see. Our society will answer these questions this way. Who am I? Oh, you are nothing. That is why you go to go out there. You have to wake up in the morning, 5.30, 4.30 in the morning, get dressed, get out of there, get after it. Because you need to make something of yourself. Go to school, learn, get the degrees, get the qualification, get the tickets, go and work. Go to all these conferences and seminars, read books and sit under under the feet of people who've made it. Why? Because you want to be something. Because you are obviously 
nothing. That is why abortion is a thing, by the way. You're nothing. So go make something of yourself. That is why made is a thing. Because if you're just there, vegetable, yeah, you're nothing. Why am I here? Oh, I'm here to consume and enjoy. That's why we all want jobs that will pay us more. You need more money. To do what? To give away? Oh, no. No, to get the cabin. Oh, I want to have, I have a bucket list. Did you know I have a bucket list? Yeah, I got to go to Fiji. You know, I got to go scuba diving in Fiji. Have you been? Oh, I got to go. I saw it on National Geographic. I got to go there. And I got to go to Africa. And I got to go, and I got to go, and I got to go. I got to do, I got to do, I got to do. So I want, I'm here to consume and I'm here to enjoy. I'm here to be comfortable. What is wrong with the world? Oh man, what is wrong with the world? There are, people need to be educated. The reason there is racism in, in the world is because people are not educated. Therefore, we just need to educate people and then we need to police them well. What is wrong with the world is with no police, no education. Yeah, but if you just, how to make this wrong right? Yeah, just more education and more policing, better policies, better laws, surely. We have these things wrapped up. This, these are the answers that society will bring. Question, does some of those answers resonate with you? You know, if we are honest, many of us will say, you know what, some of those answers, yeah, that'll, that'll be me, that'll be me saying that. What informed those answers? The scriptures? Or society around us? What we watch on TV? What we watch on our streaming, streaming um, services? Or our social media feeds? See, in 2020, something very interesting happened in 2020. What happened? Even before 2020, so go back maybe 2010, 20, uh, um, 2008, 2005. We were living large. 2008, there was this crunch and like, oh my goodness, chaos and house prices and everything. And then we bounced back. And 2020, man, Sidney Crosby was busy scoring this golden goal. And we all went crazy in Vancouver, right? So we were there yelling, face painted. Team Canada jersey on, and let's say if I came to you while you're busy screaming, Crosby has scored, you'd think like Christ has come back again, we're all jumping up and down in Vancouver. And then I came and I told you, you know, 10 years from now, these streets that are full of Canadians who are just jubilant, like you couldn't move anywhere. Like there was everybody everywhere here. And I told you, you know, this city, this, this, this Vancouver here, yeah, it will be empty for months. You'll only find pigeons and their droppings in the city <laughs> for months. If I told you this 10 years ago, what would you have said to me? Ezra, you are, stop smoking whatever it is you're smoking. <laughs> you're crazy. So 2020, so we're busy living large. 2020 comes, we think a new decade. You know, it'll be awesome. Kobe Bryant dies. We're all like, oh my, Kobe Bryant died. And then COVID hit. And cities around the world were empty. And then right here close to home, here in, here in the Fraser Valley, we have this weird weather 
where I never thought in a million years that me living in my, on my deck, in my townhouse in Abbotsford, that I'd be in my house and the deck would be 48 degrees centigrade. Never thought. I thought for me to get 48 degrees centigrade outside, I'm outside in the sun. 48, I'd have to go to the Middle East. I'd have to go to Dubai. Well, Dubai came to Canada, to Abbotsford. <laughs> Weird weather. And then floods. The atmospheric stream came, the floods came, and then as we're trying to cope with floods, oh dear, Europe, what's going on? Yeah, there's an army from Russia coming into to Ukraine, and then there's this threat of, there might be a nuclear bomb going off here. And what? And then all of a sudden, overnight, you go and sleep, fuel prices were 98 cents. Yeah, you wake up the next morning, it is $2 plus. What in the world? And then while we are still trying to catch up with COVID and maybe we own our own businesses and maybe we took a little bit of a, of a line of credit using the equity in our home just to survive COVID, uh, the Bank of Canada shows up and begins to jack up the interest rates. And you're like, what? And now there is economic uncertainty, social uncertainty in the world. Could it be, could it be that the Lord here is bringing discipline and maybe judgment? I'm not saying that it is, but I'm just saying, could it be that this is a way that God is saying, wake up. You humans think that you can control your own destiny, you can't. You think you have all the power, you don't. You think you know it all, you don't. Look at how you're slaughtering your children through abortion. Look at how you are entertaining maid and taking human life. It's not, you're not sovereign. If you are, then solve this. A cold shut the world down. A cold that kills shut the world down for months. Climate change is a deal. It's a thing. Economic down, yeah, we all feel it. And God is saying, maybe God is saying, stop and recognize how far you have drifted from me. And so Hosea would be right to say, yeah, the Lord has stoned us. He has. So question, how are you responding how are you responding? See how we are not so far removed? We are so determined like the nation of Israel to pursue filth. Filth meaning to pursue the human way of doing things. So we are trying to sort out how, okay, so there's this economic uh, pressure that is coming. Okay, so maybe I need to do this. Maybe I can go and talk to my bank and maybe adjust my portfolio a bit. And maybe I can do this to survive this. And we're trying and we're trying. We are not even praying, not even crying out to God, not even asking, Lord, help us, forgive us. Praise the last thing on our minds because you're trying to figure out how am I going to survive? You're still hanging on on human ways of doing things. We are determined to solve this on our own. And the Lord is saying, I am here. 
and I'm here. And so Hosea will say to you and to me, come, come, come. Let us return to the Lord. Meaning, let us renounce the ways of sin. Let us renounce the compulsive, repetitive patterns of resisting God. Let us renounce the power of evil that seeks to influence us to worship false gods. Worshiping false gods in what way? When we think money will bring you all the joy, it will not. When you think your beauty and your, and, and your brains and your abilities and your talents will bring you all the, all the, all the joy, no, it will not. When you think, oh, if we just got a new prime minister, then maybe Canada will change. No, it will not. <laughs> it will not. Only God. Only God. So how do we respond? Second point here. Let us press on to know the Lord. Let us press on to know the Lord. When he's talking about here, when it comes to confession... When it comes to confession, so confession is not just returning to God and, and just being there. But let us press on. Now we have returned, but now we want to press on to know him. To know him how, you may ask. My daughter and I do our devotions together. And so we read the same book, same passages of scripture, and then we have a discussion together. And so one time as we were reading, she came to this passage that talked about marriage. And so she's 16 years old. So she came into me and said, Dad, uh, I'm not married. So I guess this passage means nothing to me. It doesn't apply to me right now in my life. I'm in school. I'm in this. I'm in rugby. I'm whatever. So this passage doesn't apply to me at all, she said. See, that was me a number of years ago. And I'm sure that, w- that is many of us. Like when we are struggling with certain issues and I want God to speak to me about my issue right now. Like we all have issues, don't we? Like you have an issue that you want to hear God, right? (laughs) Yeah, you have an issue that you want to hear God. So you open the Bible, you come to Hosea chapter 6 verse 1 to 3 and you're reading this passage and I wonder, okay, so how is this passage speaking about my issue right now? It kind of doesn't, so it's not relevant. And so you try and go to chapter 5 and it's kind of talking about these people being rebellious and worshipping idols. I don't have any idol in my house, so obviously it is not relevant, so therefore we leave it alone. And we walk away and we think this way. That is the wrong way of thinking. Let me set you on the right course as I did my daughter. When you're facing crisis in life, the scriptures will consistently tell you, come and trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. But the question is, how do we trust God? In order to trust anybody, in order to trust a mechanic or a surgeon or a dentist or a financial planner, in order for you to trust this person, if you needed heart surgery, you will have had you you would have done uh, some homework to know the surgeon. How many surgeries have they done? What was the success rate? What are the other doctors saying about him? What are other patients saying about this person? You'll have done your homework. You'll have met this person, felt the vibe. If you're not vibing, you're like, there's no way you're opening my chest. Mm -mm, No. (laughs) But if you're vibing with this person, you're like, okay, okay, I can see this. And you're figuring stories. So in order to trust the Lord, you will need to know him first. So the scriptures are here. These are stories not necessarily to talk to you about your specific issue right now. But these are stories about God. They will tell you what God is like in all sorts of issues. So I looked at my daughter and said, 
When you read this text, you want to figure out what does God think about marriage? It will tell you something about God. What does God think about being single? It will tell you something about God. What does God think about people who are faithful? It will tell you something about him. What does God think about people who are unfaithful? It will tell you something about God. So all these are stories about God and they're telling you this is who God is. This is how he responds. This is how he works. This is what he loves. This is what he dislikes. This is how he blesses. This is what you can expect from him. And so as you're reading the text of scripture, not necessarily looking for how does it speak to my particular issue, but you're reading it to find out who is God like. Then the more you know who, who he is like, you'll be kind of like feeling, okay, maybe I can trust him with this little thing. Let's see. And then he comes through for you. Then you add a little bit more. And then he comes through for you. And then you add a little bit more. Now, you didn't just observe, but now you're experiencing his grace. So now when you face crisis, you know God. And now you, just, you will trust him. Because you have seen through observation, reading, and through experience, you have trusted a little bit. And he's shown himself faithful. So when Hosea is saying here, let us press on to know God, that is exactly what he means. That is exactly what he means. So for your particular issue, you may not have chapter and verse. It'd be like my son right now, currently, true story, he's in a retreat somewhere in uh, Chilliwack. He's having a good old time. The boys there might say, you know what, let us go and do whatever. And my son now will think, he's supposed to finish the retreat and come back home, so he should be home in about half an hour, 40 minutes from now. But the guy will say, oh, in the afternoon, let's go and do whatever. Now, my son and I have not spoken about him doing the whatever. I'm right here preaching. (laughs) But my son and I have a relationship. And so my son will hear the buddy saying, hey, let's go and do this, and he'll begin to think, hmm. Will dad approve of this or not? We haven't talked about it, but he will know. Dad will be okay with this. Oh, no way. Dad will never be okay with this. (laughs) Why? We know each other. There is relationship. He knows me. So when it comes to your particular issue, Even you may not necessarily find chapter and verse to speak specifically on that issue that you're struggling with, but when you press in to know God, guess what? When you press in to know God, you will know what the right thing to do in that circumstance will be. So, to wrap here, let us return to the Lord and let's press on to know the Lord. So what does repentance mean? look like. I will sum it up in James chapter 4 verse 1 to 10. Very easy, very simple passage here. What causes quarrels? Now what causes the cause of it? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? James was writing to Christians, not non-Christians. Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you? Your passions are at war within you. Idolatry. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. The asking here is prayer. You ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Idolatry. 
You adulterous people. Adulterous, why? We are supposed to be the bride of Christ, but now we have become the bride of something else. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it, um, do you suppose it is to no purpose as the scriptures say he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us? That statement there, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us means when God created you and I, he put his spirit in you. When he put his spirit in you, he's desiring that you worship him. He's desiring that you know him. He's desiring that you submit to him. Why? Because when you, sub, when, when you submit to him, when you know him, when you worship him, that is where joy upon joy upon joy is found. It is in worshiping God that you thrive as a human being. So he's yearning jealously. I want you to, to enjoy. I want you to thrive. It's like a parent who, I want, son, I want you to study. I want you to do this. I want you to do that because I want you to thrive. But we are adulterous people. But because he's yearning jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, James will say, verse 6, but he gives more grace. More grace, why? Because we are rebellious. So what should you do with rebels? Punish. But rather than that, God is giving grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, verse 7, submit yourselves, therefore. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. This is what confession now looks like. Submit yourselves, therefore, to the Lord. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Why are you doing all this? Because you recognize how wicked we are. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom because you are wicked. Humble yourself before the Lord. What will he do? He will exalt you. That is what confession looks like. So when we confess, what happens? He forgives. Point number two, his forgiveness. These ones will go quick. So two points again um, in, in his forgiveness. At least two areas that I'd like to highlight. The first is he will bind us up. Chapter 6, verse 1, the second part of verse 1, and he will raise us up that we may live before him, chapter 6, verse 2. So let's go to the first point here. He will bind us up. Now, I want you to imagine, if you had a friend of yours, and your buddy had a son, and his son was, um, your buddy's son was busy um, just being a, being a brat, like, being just swearing at your friend and his wife, like calling him names, and just being hard to deal with, and to boot, he is wishing your friend were dead so that he could inherit the family estate. And so your friend decides to cut out and, 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 and to, to, to give this young man a whole bunch of money. So he goes away, this boy, travels the world, lives the high life, Spending money on booze and all of it. Fast life. Loses everything. This young man who was swearing at mom and dad, wishing that mom and dad were dead. And then he shows up at home. And your buddy is like, my son showed up. He wants to come back home. What would you tell your friend to do? 
Would you tell your friend, hug him, bring him in, give him the best room in the house. In fact, throw a party for him. Would you do this? Or would you say, dude, this boy's going to do it again. Therefore, kick him out. Maybe send him, get him to work. Maybe you can help him a little bit, but don't, don't put all your eggs there. We might say this, but what does God say in the prodigal son story? In Luke 15, what does the Lord say? The father is seated every day in the porch, looking down the road, waiting for the son to show up. This son who was rebellious, who wished the dad was dead. And when the dad saw the son at distance, he grabs his tunic, lifts it up, which was taboo in the first century, runs after the son, hugs him, removes his ring, puts it on the son's finger. Welcome home, son. Welcome home, son. Welcome home. This son who had squandered the father's money. Welcome home, son. Is the image that Jesus gives us about the love of the Father to us. So the question, why? Why does God love us this way? Rebels like us, why does God love us this way? Let me illustrate. I grew up in Kenya, and this is Kenyan currency. 20 shillings. So when I was a boy, this bill here would would give me enough groceries for a few days. So I might, I would buy, I'd be able to buy some milk, some bread, some cheese, some produce. I'll probably buy um, some flour, some um, cereal, some butter, some snacks with this. And even have a little bit of money left to pay for the bus with this. Now this bill looks all nice and it's not crisp, it's not perfect, but it's in good condition considering that it was born or made in July 1st, 1978. So it's a nice, good-looking bill at the back. You'll see some lions because, of course, it's Africa. There's some intricate designs. Like, it's a really beautiful bill. And then I have this one. Same bill. But this one has been around. It was torn at some point, and someone put some sticky tape because these two halves were separated. And it's not as pretty. I can't see the design in the center. I can't see it properly. It has some, it's toner. It's very dirty, as you can see. It's really filthy. It's been around. It's maybe been in all sorts of places that I dare not mention because we're in church. (laughs) This bill. It's seen a lot of life. So I'd say this bill might represent a human being who grew up in a good home went to a decent school, graduated, has good, decent parents. Not perfect, because this bill is not perfect. But, um, yeah, lived like you and me. We are clean, we are nice, we had a shower this morning, maybe a cup of coffee, we're good. This bill. (laughs) But then this one will represent the human being who is torn apart. This person who's been stepped on, used and abused, oppressed, trafficked, enslaved. The person who's been crushed and molested and raped. This bill. This one right here. People have spat on them and they are now feeling like chewed gum. These people. Here. They're not crisp. They're not well put together. Yeah. They're not attractive anymore. 
They're not pretty. So let's say I gave you this bill, and let's say this bill was $100. $100 US, let's say. And so it was summer, and you're planning to go on a trip to the States. So you had gotten money, and I gave you this $100 bill to go and buy yourself some wonderful stuff when you're in the States, right? Then your kid grabbed this bill when they're playing with your purse or whatever in your wallet, and then they took this money, and they're playing, and they're playing. And you know the way you, know you have your offering here? You drop it in a thing. So your kid is busy walking and thinking, oh, money is somewhere. You drop it in a little slot. And so they're playing outside. They see the drainage uh, thing, and they drop this $100 bill down there. Now you come with a flashlight, you see, you can see the bill is right there down the drainage. You can see it, but you can't reach it, but you see it. It's right there. What would you do? You'd say, ah, forget it. Or, are you really going to try and pursue it? But it is crumbled, it is old, it's filthy, it's dirty, it's stinky. Why are you going to bother looking for it? I mean, you don't know what other nasty is down there. You can see it, it's right there, but it's just covered with dirt and filth and yucky. Down there. Would you still leave it there and say, I forget it? Or are you going to pursue after it? See, because you know, this bill, you will take it to the store, it will buy you milk and bread and cheese and produce and flour and treats and cereal and butter and snacks, right? When you take this one to the to the, to the store, what would you do with it? Yeah, this one would still buy the milk, the bread, the cheese, the produce, the flour, the treats, the cereal, the butter, the snacks. In other words, it never lost its value even though it's been around. Dear Christian, the reason why God forgives, it doesn't matter whether you're this or this, you have value and worth. You have dignity. His spirit is available to you. You are created in his image and in his likeness. Whether you're big or small, rich or poor, black or white or brown, Canadian, American, South Asian, it doesn't matter. You have dignity and worth. You are worth Christ dying on the cross for. This is why. He will bind us up. When he looks at you and you're seated in a Starbucks with the Lord and he's looking at you in the eye, you say, Lord, who am I? He will say, you are created in my image and likeness. Why am I here, Lord? You're here to know me and to enjoy me forever. What is wrong with the world, Lord? Sin is what is wrong with the world. How can this wrong be made right? The gospel. I paid for it on the cross. I paid for it on the cross. I will bind you up. So when people confess to the Lord, the Lord will restore the relationship, but not just restoring the relationship, the Lord will also restore, he will also restore the privileges that come with that relationship. Look at the second point here. He will raise us up that we may live before him. So he doesn't just restore, but he'll give us the privilege to live before him. You see, the nation of Israel, they were wicked, they were sinful, they were disobedient, they worshipped all these idols, as we do. Unfaithful people we are, like Israel. And we are like the prodigal son, where we want to grab God's goodness and enjoy them in our own pleasures. And then the Lord is saying, come and return. And when we return to him, 
He will see us and run to us. That's why it will say in verse 3, the, Lord is, the Lord's going out is as sure as the dawn. Going out, what? he's coming to us. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rain. He will come when we turn around and we come to him. Question, how will, how will you respond? How will you respond? Why does the Lord come? Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 to 9. I'm, I'm done here. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Many of us are there. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, us and him, And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sins. If we say we have no sin, mm -hmm, we can't say we have no sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Mm -hmm. If we confess our sins, he's writing to Christians. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now notice the verse does not say, it does not say, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No. The verse will say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. And just. Faithful and just. Why did John say just? The reason he said just is, God doesn't just forgive you. You sinned, therefore there's got to be a consequence. Who paid for that consequence? Jesus. That's why God is faithful and just. So when he forgives, people cannot come and say, that wasn't just. Uh-uh. It was paid for on the cross. So, how are you going to respond? We are very worldly in our thinking. Hosea will remind us, come. Are you going to come? Next week we will see, this, did Israel Come. No, they didn't. Don't be like them. Come to the Lord. Let's pray. So, Father, with these few words, I commend ourselves to you. We pray, dear Lord, would you help us as God's people to always keep coming to you, to repent our sins, Give ourselves fully to you. Lord, the world has contaminated us in multiple ways. Would, re- would you reveal the ways in which we have drifted away? Would you draw us near to you? We commend ourselves now to you, Father, in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Amen.